This episode is brought to you by Forney Industries, official sponsor of Faction 46 and Nice Motorsports Truck Series teams. Forney offers versatile welding and plasma cutting machines, along with a full line of metalworking accessories for beginners, do-it-yourselfers, and professionals. Forney has everything you need for your next metalworking project. Shop for these top-of-the-line products at ForneyIND.com, that's F-O-R-N-E-Y-I-N-D.com, or at an authorized Forney dealer near you. Hey y'all, Rick Houston here, and I want to tell you about my new show, the Moonshine and Motorsports Racing Podcast. I've partnered up with the state of North Carolina Department of Natural and Cultural Resources to help uncover the history behind moonshining mountain boys, professional wheelmen, and the backwoods and city lights of the Tar Heel State. In the first episode, I sat down with Winston Kelly at the NASCAR Hall of Fame for a little behind-the-scenes gossip about Junior Johnson's engineering skills. He's got two things in his hand, pipe wrench and channel lock pliers, and they weren't new. They had been been around the block a time or two. What's the first deal they built, I bet? No, no. I think the the pliers had been red before, but paint had worn off. And in the second episode, I talked to a professional hillbilly, a.k.a. Dr. Daniel Pierce of UNC Asheville, to find out the real history of moonshiners and their battles with the revenuers. He wrote about one of his experience of trying to chase down this uh, this bootlegger and this this souped up car, and he he complained that the government gave him these piece of crap, cheapo cars, and that, that were really no match. But he thought he was doing pretty good, and then the guy just hits it and just takes off and practically disappears. But then the guy makes a bootleg turn uh, and comes back towards him. And as he said, it was a game of chicken, and I was a chicken. And so he ran off the boat. And actually, he was the guy who who caught Junior Johnson at his daddy's steal when Junior got tangled up in a a barbed wire fence. So check out the Moonshine and Motorsports Racing Podcast, available on YouTube, DailyDownForce.com, and all of your favorite podcasting platforms. And be sure to check out my regular show on NASCAR history, the Scene Vault Podcast. Hey there, NASCAR fans. Have you got your copy of the latest edition of NASCAR Pole Position Print Magazine? If not, there's no better time than now to subscribe at PolePositionMag.com. NASCAR Pole Position is the only print magazine covering NASCAR. Officially licensed by NASCAR, NASCAR Pole Position Magazine is published throughout the NASCAR season, and each edition is an instant collector's item with great feature stories and photography. The magazine is even mailed to you in a poly bag for those who love to collect NASCAR memorabilia. At PolePositionMag.com, you can even find past issues available to purchase. Get your subscription to NASCAR Pole Position and get great NASCAR content delivered straight to your mailbox throughout the season. Learn more at PolePositionMag.com. That's PolePositionMag.com. Eric Estep here. One of my favorite parts of being a NASCAR fan is collecting diecasts. It's how I got my start on YouTube, actually. To me, a room is not complete until it features shelves of NASCAR diecast cars. It's as good a time as ever to continue your collection or begin an all-new one by pre-ordering your favorite driver's 2022 next-gen diecast at lionelracing.com or at any authorized Lionel retailer. 
Lionel is the official diecast of NASCAR, and don't miss Lionel Racing's NASCAR Authentics diecasts at a Walmart or Target near you. Not only is Lionel the official diecast of NASCAR, but they're also official supporters of the Out of the Groove Podcast Network. So what are you waiting for? Head to LionelRacing.com to order your favorite driver's 2022 diecast. Hello, my name is Rick Houston, and welcome to the Scene Vault Podcast, your source for all things NASCAR history. Presented by Las Vegas Motor Speedway, America's racing showplace. I says, well, I'll make you one better. I says, you don't pay me the rest of the year and get me in a top 10 of points, otherwise find another driver. And I walked out. We had stayed ahead for over 40 laps in that position there. Yeah. And I, I thought we are in good shape, or 30 laps, whatever it was. We we're, we're in a fuel we can make. And, um, yeah, that happened. Knocking a guy out of the way, he goes, anybody with a fast car can do that. Pass him. He says, you got to earn the respect and beside the guy before you make contact. And again, I was, we're all good. Yep, we're good. We're good. And <laughs> I get home, they sent me an email after I was just in the office. Very fired. The day NASCAR and all of us associated in any way with NASCAR forget its past, that's the day we don't have any future. Hello, everyone. I'm Steve Wade. And my name is Rick Houston, and welcome to the Scene Vault Podcast, presented by Las Vegas Motor Speedway, America's racing showplace, and a track that really does care about NASCAR history. Las Vegas, baby. <laughs> well, oh. first, first question. How much money have you lost? <laughs> I have not lost the first cent. And Adam, who is now 21 and can do what he wants to, quote yeah. unquote. <laughs> yeah. He won $9 by, <laughs> well, he wagered on the Appalachian State basketball game last night, and he won $9, and he is so proud of himself. Well, he should be beach losing, doesn't it? Well, Jeannie and Jesse, they went down and they hit the machines a little bit while Adam and I went to the truck race the other night. Yeah, I don't think they had as good a luck. <laughs> <laughs> well, I believe they would have told you if they had. Well, I'll tell you what, I did get real brave and I brought Jeannie and the boys with me. Steve, this was the very first time that either one of the boys had ever flown. Really? And Adam tends to get motion sickness at the drop of a hat. That was my number one concern. I was worried about Adam not feeling too well. Right. But we got him medicated and everything. So he was good to go. And then Jesse can get spun out by anything that he's not used to. You know, we made it through the flight out here pretty good. Although the look on Jesse's face (laughs) was absolutely priceless. As we were taking off, at least Jesse didn't have Phil Cavelli sitting next to him going, what was that? (laughs) I've never heard anything like that before. I mean, I flew like that. My first five or six years was seen. (laughs) So that was not fun whatsoever. Well, you want to be a fan of flying anyway. With Phil pulling his hijinks, it could have been really ugly for you all those years. Well, it was really ugly for me all those years. I still bear the emotional scars, but hey, that's just fine. 
Well, let me tell you about my experience gambling in Las Vegas. It was the first Vegas race, 1998. And to prep ourselves, no. and to get ready for that race, we didn't necessarily look at racing facts and figures. We looked at the odds for the drivers and found out that Jeff Burton and Mark Martin were going off at 12 to 1. And Rouse cars at that time had been tearing up the mile and a half track. Man, we checked into our hotel, didn't even unpack. We went down to the sports book, running to place our bets. <laughs> and sure enough, they had, their odds were like 12 to 1. So I put about $20 down on each one of them and went to the race. And sure enough, Mark Martin won that race. So I cleaned up pretty good on a $20 bet. That was a lot of fun. Doesn't happen often, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> have you given up those winnings in other bets? I'm sure you have. Oh, yeah. <laughs> when it comes to Vegas, I'm in the minus column. <laughs> <laughs> well, Steve, then we got to Vegas and the boys are both huge fans of the TV show. Hell's kitchen with Gordon Ramsay. So we ate there for lunch on Friday. <laughs> <laughs> well, Rick, the, did you have to wash this to get out of there? Or what Steve, the, the food was very good, but this week when I asked for PayPal support, <laughs> oh, I won't even say how much we paid because I'm ashamed to say how much we <laughs> I just about had a stroke when I got the bill. That and was, that was for lunch, right? And that was for lunch. Yeah. Golly. But oh my gosh. <laughs> Holy cow. Forget gambling, man. Paying for our meal there was a loss. Yeah. I'm hip. <laughs> Believe me. Well, then Adam and I went to the truck race Friday night and our friend, Jamie Bishop got us all set up to hang out with Jordan Anderson's team. Guess who drove the truck out here for Jordan Anderson? I have no idea. The one, the only Henry Benfield. Really? Did you see Henry? I saw Henry and I introduced Henry to Adam. And for the next hour or so, we leaned on a stack of tires, just like you do, just like you have a good old conversation around the stack of tires. And let's just say that Adam Houston is now a man. He has oh. been educated by Henry <laughs> Benfield. <laughs> yeah, but you gotta wonder what kind of education is it? <laughs> Holy cow. Yeah. Then we go into the race and Adam, his eyes are as big around as saucers. Again, it's the first race that they've ever been to. And we were standing there and Phil Horton, the pit crew coach came up to Adam and asked if he would film the pit stops on his iPad. So not only is Adam in his first race, he is actually getting to participate in a very small way. Yeah. But he's actually getting to participate on pit road. He's doing a very good thing because you know, the pit crew coach is going to want to see what he's got on that video to try to help his team have better stops. Yep. So Adam has done a real service. <laughs> well, then we went to the Xfinity race and we were up in Chris Powell's suite and Adam and Jesse ate up all of Chris's <laughs> catering budget <laughs> and then some, and then Steve, it snowed. You're kidding. Honest to goodness. It snowed in Las Vegas and caused a caution. 
I find that hard to believe. Snow in Vegas. Snow in Vegas. Now, if you said New Hampshire. <laughs> now, I have honestly seen it all. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you have. We're still not finished. That was great. But then we went to the Carrot Top show here in Vegas last night. You took where well, they are 21, right? Oh, I mean, yeah. Is, okay. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Now, I Look. guarantee you, I'm sure that Adam and Jesse ain't never seen anything like Carrot Top in well, this show. No, nah, they were, it was fine. It, you know, it was a little off color, but that's fine. I mean, Adam and Jesse, they are 21. But hey, as we were leaving the show, we ran into Todd Bodine and his wife and some of their friends. And I introduced him to Jeannie and the boys. And he goes, come with me. All right. So we just follow him back down to the lobby. Everybody filters out when everybody's gone. Turns out he knows Carrot Top. Oh, and really? so the boys got to meet Carrot oh, Top. <laughs> I mean, Las Vegas is going to be one heck of a memory for Adam and Jesse. Well, what's funny, Adam being Adam, he notices everything. And he is the biggest sports fanatic on the face of the earth. He recognizes one of Todd's friends. And it's Jake Olson who made really big news a few years ago when he served as long snapper for the USC football team. And he's blind. I didn't know that. Yes, that was huh. a big story. There was an ESPN. I think it was an E60 report on him. I have introduced Jesse and Adam to all kinds of astronauts and flight controllers, and they've met some race car drivers before. But I think the only cool points that I've ever scored with them or anybody else for that matter, was because they got the chance to meet Carrot Top and Jake Olson because of somebody I knew. I think you scored some big brownie points on Vegas. Well, I told them both, between Hell's Kitchen and Carrot Top, that my Christmas present this year had better be good. <laughs> <laughs> and it better be good for the rest of my life. You know, I would have said to them, boys, Merry Christmas. <laughs> Merry Christmas. Happy this, Hanukkah. This is your gift. Happy birthday. Happy Easter. <laughs> Steve, this week in our first segment, we're going to share the second installment of our interview with Johnny Benson. And Johnny talks about his earliest days on the Winston Cup circuit with Bahari Racing, his rather difficult turn with Roush Racing. That's, I think that's a polite way to put it. <laughs> it is. What might have been in the 2000 Daytona 500 is Mr. Nice Guy Image winning at Rockingham and parting ways with MB2 Motorsport. So we got a lot of stuff in with John in this segment. A lot of information, Rick. Really good stuff. Then in our second segment, we're going to go back to the race that Johnny Benson won at Rockingham, despite that Mr. Nice Guy tag and image. And then Jamie McMurray inherits a second straight Bush Series victory. How about that? He inherited, inherited that victory. Yeah, I was going to say inheritance being the key word. Here. <laughs> well, to finish first, first you got to finish. That's exactly right. I've Everybody else said. didn't. He did. <laughs> yeah. You can't fault a guy for inheriting anything, a win or a championship. Like you said, if you're in a position to win something and it falls to you, the first thing to remember is you were in position to do it. Steve, this week, we do have new Patreon support from Mike Youngblood and PayPal support from Elvin Barrett. So listeners, if you can, please support us on Patreon. And after my trip to Hell's Kitchen the other day, please support us on PayPal. 
Support us by dropping us a five-star rating and a written review on iTunes or Spreaker or Spotify or iHeartRadio or any of the podcast platforms you listen to us on. That would help. So, listeners, if you can, please support us on Patreon. That address is patreon.com. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash the Scene Vault Podcast. Or if you would prefer to do a one-time show of support, you can do that via paypal.me slash the same vault podcast listeners. We need you. Rick has been to hell's kitchen. Don't forget that. <laughs> and also just as a reminder, this show is not affiliated in any way with American city business journals, owners of the same brand. You had a really good run going in the Brickyard 400 that first year. Uh, you led three times for a total of 70 laps, but you had some sort of issue on a pit stop. Um, we, we ran really good. Daryl Jarrett and, and Ernie Irvin. Uh, between the three of us, we pretty much dominated the race. I think we led most laps. But um, we'd come out like third, and I'd have to uh, – we were so good that I'd get my um, – Dale Jarrett, and then I get by Ernie Irvin, we lead. And then we were at that point, we're leading in a race, and we, and we were fast. And we come into the pit stop, and it, it is talk about a bad day in a really short moment that really, you know, made a, made a huge impact on the yeah. race. Is our, our pit stop was not our best performance there. And a driver getting out of pits was not his best performance there because after the pit stop kind of went awry. We were probably going to come out tenth instead of third. I stalled the car. Time I got going, I come out like eighteenth, and I think we still managed to get up in a in a seventh or eighth. The yeah. car was that good, but it it took us out of contention to um, to win the race. And you know, I bet you know both Ernie and uh, Dale Jarrett were very good at that point in time too. So you know, if they made their car a little bit better, they they were probably. I don't remember who won. I think uh, I think Ernie crashed, and I think Dale Jarrett. Yeah. Uh, earn it if I remember yeah. right, but um, um, it was one of those days that you kind of walked out of the garage and your, your head down. Not, not. It was just one of those things that that got away with us, and it, it was just it was it was heartbreaking. Yeah. Who were the Chuck Ryder and Lawrence Harry that you knew? Um, well, Chuck, he you know he he run the the racing aspect of things and. Um, you know, we knew he. He's, everybody's over budget in racing, so we, we, me and Doug Hewitt, we'd always say, "Hey, we really need to get this stuff and try to, you know, try to get the team a little bit better." And yeah. he would always say, "Well, if you win a race, I'll go get that stuff." So that was our always our our thing. I says, "Hold up, we we need the stuff to go win a race, but because if we could win a race, we wouldn't need it." Type thing. So that was always a, a back and forth. Um, you know, he he gave me a great opportunity. And things of that nature to to run there, and I th- and I thought we ran well. I mean, our first first year rookie year, we had some some great runs. Of course, Brickyard being probably probably the best run of the year for sure. But um, the second year, we managed to finish eleventh in a point, one point out of tenth, which we were ahead that whole time. And then the teams that got ahead of they worked because they had multi car teams. Well, they yeah. they moved around to. To get their car in the top ten, which I which I understand, but we're the person that got knocked out of it, so that was uh, 
a little different. But um, so we're at Charlotte, and I'm up in a Chuck had a Chuck Ryder had a suite, you know, some Panzo people there and things of that nature. And I'm talking to some people, and this guy come up, super nice guy, and he introduced himself, as Lawrence. He just said Lawrence. He didn't say Lawrence Harry or anything. I didn't understand at that time how they got Bahari because I just saw the cheetah and I, yeah. there it is. I bet you I talked to him for about an hour. Yeah. He never told me who he was. And I didn't know who he was because Chuck's the only one of the people, the owners. I, I thought it was just Chuck that owned it. So anyways, we were sitting there talking all that. Great conversation. Super nice guy. And time went on in that. And I finally said, hey, who was that guy there I was just talking to? Because I'm really bad about names, you know. <laughs> He said, well, it's Lawrence Harry. I said, okay. What's he do? <laughs> he goes, owns your car. <laughs> I go, what? He didn't own my car. Chuck Ryder owns yeah. my car. Yeah. Well, at that point in time, I got a, uh, the, the version of Chuck Ryder, Lawrence Harry, and um, uh, not Dick Baird, uh, the, the other Baird from Loudon. Bob. Bob. No, Bob owned it. So what's Dick Baird? Yeah, I think it was Dick. Yeah, Dick Baird. Um, yeah. They all owned a car together, and that's how they got Bahari by yeah. taking yeah. a few letters out of their last okay. name. So I learned that about halfway through the season. So it was, uh, it was um, it's about the same time I learned it. Yeah, in in uh, and I've I've actually at times I kept in, in of course Chuck passed away and and uh, with Lawrence Harry because he was at that time was part of that Briggs and Stratton thing of yeah. of seventy seven. I need some parts. I knew he was there. And I contacted him, and we've had some good conversations just throughout the years. Is it, he still it's probably, living? You know that I don't know because it's probably been probably been about eight nine years okay. ago oh. last time I talked to him. But it's been that many years. I'd still every yeah. once in a while run into him yeah. and chat with him, and uh, probably one of the down to earth guys that you. I got to know he and his wife. What was his wife's name? I don't. I don't recall. I got now. to know them. I met them in Japan when we went for that first exhibition race. And my wife was appointed as a district court judge here in North Carolina. And Lawrence Harry and his wife were the only two people from NASCAR who came to her swearing in. So nice. I, I will never forget that. Yeah. That, that was pretty cool. And, it, and I always laugh. I said, Lawrence was crazy. He was like yeah. a quiet, super guy. And he was talking about the trips. Yeah, we went to... I don't remember what yeah. country. We bungee jumped. <laughs> like a what? <laughs> Are you nuts? Yeah. And uh, yeah. that was a great side of him. Yeah. It was outside the racetrack. Very t- seldom ever saw him at tracks up for Charlotte, stuff like that. Um, I've seen him more outside in yeah. things of that nature, and uh, it's very enjoyable. Janie's, Christ- Janie's Christmas present that year came home from Japan in the seat of your race car. Nice. Yeah, shipped it, shipped it back glad in the to, container. That was glad awesome. we all could help. <laughs> <laughs> I think we've all shipped stuff with yeah. these teams. Yeah. <laughs> How did you end up at Roush Racing in 1998? That was that was a weird deal because I was I was really happy staying with Chuck and things of that nature and I can't go into the point where <laughs> how it got there but I I was told by some higher ups that I needed to look at this and go to that Jack never contacted me this came from somewhere else and I said no well then I was told I needed to go do that so I did then we had that conversation and uh, and moved over there but at that time and then Chuck was really trying to keep me there. And I really wanted to, but I was I was I was getting nudged to do it, and I, I would not at the time real happy about it because I was I was really happy where I was at, and so as that process happened, then I did get excited about it because I was supposed to drive 
this particular car with this particular crew chief who's very very good and then when it got said and done with and they were moving in and going to do that i didn't end up where i was supposed to be and that and that came from internal there but um so that was that was tough i I think of my career that that the first year not so much second year pretty tough um that it was it because when you get pushed that way and you got it set and excited about where it's going to go and it didn't happen that's really hard for anybody especially a racer no names necessary but we talking ford people roush people more in the team driver area that um now see if you don't tell us we're gonna have to speculate (laughs) (laughs) no because because i respect everybody that was there in us in that situation and and it would just be foolish to bring it up but it on that part but i'm saying this is a story of how it happened yeah. i mean I, w- I will tell you i was supposed to be you know with uh uh, uh buddy parrot yeah in 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 one of the cars now that driver's not the not where it came from but it was there was some tension within the organization that this was happening and i think that they didn't know about it and i think it's what was happening and then all of a sudden a bunch of stuff got shuffled around and then i'm not where i signed up to be and so it was tough. It was tough. It started off good. Yeah. Um, but then it, then it became very tough. Well, you mentioned that 98 was one thing, and then 99, it just kind of fell off a cliff, I guess. It, it fell off. Um, we're, and you had, what, three different crew chiefs? Three or, or four. In uh, you know, we were at Charlotte, and I'm telling them, I said, the car's really good. But then they said, well, we're slow. And I said, no, I understand that. And at that point in time, you know, Jack got Mark Barn come down there. And Mark jumps in a car and he goes out and he runs, and he come in. And he said same thing. He says this car is really good. And I says, would you trade cars, right now? And he goes, yeah, I'd take this car right now. Why? I go, well, you're three quarters seconds slower than your car. And and he he was shocked because he says this car drives so good. And the next thing you know, he he he, he walks away. Well. I probably shouldn't have said that at that time, but Jack was there. Then all of a sudden, we get pulled down to the the office to get chewed on. But then it, you know, they, of course, they, they like to involve everybody, so everybody's in there. And then we get rid of the crew chief, and I says, "No, I've already got rid of crew chiefs. It's not where the problem is, and things of that nature." Well, then Jack, you know, you know, Jack, like everybody. So I'm going to start every time you wreck a car, I'm going to charge you for it now because we're wrecking cars. And I and and that that kind of now Jack has said that to every driver yeah, yeah, there. Yeah, <laughs> it's not yeah. it's not nothing nobody about, knows about. But so at that point in time, I says, "Well, I'll make you one better." I says, "You don't pay me the rest of the year, and get me in a top ten in points. Otherwise, find another driver." And I walked out. So well, I thought the, I the, thought Johnny Benson was supposed to be a nice guy. Well, yeah, but <laughs> when you get you get called out sometimes, right? Yeah. And if it was just maybe. The three of us, I probably would have dealt with it, but he did this in front of oh, wow. everybody. And so anyways, I go home. Of course, the crew chief at that time calls me. He says, crap, this ain't going to be good. I go, yeah, I'm pretty sure I ain't. I'm, I'm fired. I'll be fired by the end of the day. And I didn't get a call. I'm like, crap. Now I don't know what to do, you know. And sure enough, he fired the crew chief, which I didn't want. So then it, then it, then it was just the, the tumbling um, effect, and it was not... It was never one person that there. It was just all of a sudden. It was just it was crumbling around us, and 
And I still had two more years of my contract. I walked away. I told him I ain't doing it at the, at the end of the year. I said, it's not good for you. It's not good for me. It's not good for your people. This is not working. And I walked out. So, of course, then they, you know, still got to deal with the contract part, which is why I don't like contracts. But um, so we, we had to deal with that. So that was, there, there was a, it was a great promising aspect going into there that just didn't happen. Did it seem like a relief to get away from that? Or was there maybe a little bit of panic about what you were going to do next? No, I mean, I, I wasn't in a panic because I, I can find something to do. I'll go back from my late model, go work for my dad in the business. I, I, didn't, I didn't really look at that. And um, at that point in time, that's when uh, I was approached from Tim Beverly aspect of things. So I pretty much kind of knew there was a direction when that happened but this was after the last race this was that tim got in touch with you yes this okay. was yeah. after the thing with roush was done yeah. and um so we we chatted and i and uh you know he had some people there and i says yeah i'll do it the same scenario came back up that uh, somebody else came so i'm driving a car and i says wow i kind of already committed to something so then they were mad i didn't talk to him i says I, there's no sense I, I told the guy I'm going to go do this. I don't. Why? Why was waste it a your sponsor time? deal or? No, it was it was an, it was just another car, okay. it was a good car, yeah. but um, but I, I I think at that at that time maybe I should have just went and talked to him and all that, but I says no, I'm kind of already set and moved. Where they were mad that mad about that, but I there I was I told him I go do this. This goes back again. I told him I'm going to do it. There's no sense of talking. And other, I, you know, other than that, I appreciate it, this and that, but I think I'm, think I'm all set. So we just carried on, and um, of course, the town obviously was pretty good in, in the beginning there, and things of that nature, and then I, then it was sold. But yeah, Daytona 500, year 2000, you show up with a plain white Pontiac, you wind up leading late in the race. This was going to be the 1980 Olympic hockey team. This was going to be it. But you had like 400 Fords right behind you. <laughs> take me through those last. If you're gonna take laps. a race that you walked away just beat up was that one, you know, because right. it's Daytona 500, and we did have a shot. We had a legit shot to win that, and it, we, we were good in practice. Went uh, back and forth, and we qualified okay. Or we were off a little bit in. Uh, qualifying races but when we took the qualifying engine out and put a race engine in there we lost a bigger percentage than what most did we were so then all of a sudden we couldn't keep up with anybody so we went back and forth um we're using hendrick engines at time we went back and forth with them and we were like give us an engine out of we need to find out where we're at or if it's a car this and that whatever so we got Actually, an engine on Jeff Gordon's car. We put it in there for last practice, and the car was fast. And we're like, okay, we don't want to use this race engine. Find us a different one. And in Hendrick and them, they they got another engine, and we threw it in there, and it was it was really good. You know, we know we know how important that the cars are down there, but the engine is really important too. And we were good all day. And then James Ince took a huge chance, just putting two tires on near the end. It was a long run, not not a short run. We put two tires on. The car was really good. We stayed out front. 
all the way until caution with what 10 12 laps to go and i'm looking in the mirror and i'm like crap you know and the uh, spotters are going yeah this might not be good of course Jared jarrett's behind me which obviously he's very good at what he does and uh and then there was four more forwards and i was pontiac the first closest pontiac's like six seven eight and I think when we got to green, there was, what, six to go? And then I, I took off. I don't have a lot of upfront experience at Daytona, especially in a cup car. So I'm like, okay, we're pulling away. Well, what I know today, that was bad. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I'm like, well, I know I can run wide open. I run wide open all day. So I'm watching them, and they're kind of coming. And I couldn't quite stand the bottom. He got there. He kind of, kind of bumped into me. Uh, pretty good, which is, uh, I expected that. I knew that was coming. But I was loose enough with being on two tires that I'm starting to go up the track. I didn't want to, but he's still leaning on me or, or, or he's pushing me. He's not He's not trying to wreck me, but um, he's just pushing on me and he was good enough to get, just cut me underneath me and then I was toast. And uh, I still remember Earnhardt coming up, man, I would have ran him in the pond. <laughs> I said, I couldn't. I, was, <laughs> I, was, I couldn't stay down, you know, I was sliding up. And uh, man, that last, that last three laps are just horrid that, you know, I'm going backwards. Bob Labonte started to pull out to help me. And, and uh, when you're the only car out there, he knew it was too slow. So he ducked back in. And so we, I think we, I don't know where we ended up, 12th or something like yeah. that. But it was uh, an opportunity I think we would have agreed we'd won the race. I don't know. You can't. I can say that. I don't know if that'll happen. But I think we had stayed ahead for over forty laps in that position there, and I, I thought we were in good shape or thirty laps, whatever it was. We're we're in a few. We could make it, and um, yeah, it didn't happen. You finished second at Bristol that spring. What do you remember? Yeah. Well, I'm pretty sure Rusty Wallace won, if I had to guess, he, you know, because he's he pretty much dominated <laughs> yeah, Bristol. Yeah. And I think we run second. We came from a, a ways back, and that that was, uh, you know, a great race for us. We run second, at, uh, I think, behind Tony Stewart at Brist or uh, Dover. But I remember running that race, and uh, Bristol was always tough. And crew chief kept saying, just eighty percent, eighty percent, just keep on the bottom, just stroke, and then, and then it, we just kept just in a car to that, and we just kept getting better and better and better. I don't think we had a shot at being rusty there because he's so good, but we were right there uh, with him, and um, it, it was a good race for us. Where were you mentally early that year, through Bristol or wherever? Did you have the sense that this truly was the right deal for you, or were you maybe already beginning to see some storm clouds on the horizon with him? I already had that feeling that we were going to be good before Daytona. Okay. Just working in the shop. Uh, you know James Inch, Jay Guy, bunch of bunch of guys that were there. They they were racers that from all different parts of the different types of cars, this and that. But it was it was one of those teams where the shot guy just wasn't a shot guy. That was his job. That's what he did. But if this guy needed help, he'd go help him. Same thing with the engine guys. The uh, or not the engine guys, the, the engine tuners, they were from Hendrick, but they would also step in and help. And that's unusual when a different company guys would like, well, if you need a hand, if you're either just carrying something or you just need some help, they would do it. Everybody on that team did that. They didn't, they did their job of what they're supposed to do, but they didn't just do that job. 
they helped everybody and that's unusual today for sure but they're you know i've been with teams i'm a shot guy i can't help them yeah i'm doing my job well this team did not do that they were they had that short track mentality that if the guy next to you not even your team blew an engine and there were three guys trying to pull an engine out this and that they would help them that's how this team was so i knew going into it was gonna be decent and very enjoyable i think out of all my cup stuff that was um working with the team and how it did at that time you know bahari was similar to that too but um that, that's hard to beat that feeling yeah. that people would help you outside of they're in the team it's hard to explain i know yeah. you guys yeah. might understand that but that they would help when that's not part of their job even oh, yeah. though the jobs yeah. work on a yeah. car we get yeah. that but they would uh there was it was a non-question if somebody's they jump right in and help the problems came later when, you know uh, i'm trying to ask it appropriately but when did you become aware of tim's issues or needing to sell or whatever and how much of a was, concern was that oh it was late i did not know okay. what the stuff was going around did he sell so, through, mid, about midway through the year yeah we're we're yeah we're midway through the year okay, yeah. and you know so at this point in time we we under i figured it out when we were financially being restrained a little bit on stuff which rightfully so but that became a little tough because you're trying to you know you're still trying to race trying to get parts you're trying to get yeah. stuff and then people would refuse sending you some parts or if you're at the racetrack you'd run over the parts truck and they would not either give it to you, and then wow. it, then that then that makes yeah. it tough. Oh, yeah. And yeah. we weren't a, a multi-car team yet in a, in that first part, so we had nothing to borrow parts from. So that that's when I noticed it was coming, and and then there were some really creative people. This this is funny. I think it's the funniest I ever saw. Um, there was people interested in buying a team. So this lady comes up, and she's interested in buying a team. Um, of course, the the team aspect of us trying to go through this. You know, of course, you're trying to wine and dine an owner at this point in time. We need a body, right? So they're they're going through this or sitting on a pit box with us, and this is going on a couple of weeks. And I said, we think we got this sold. Well, they did background check on her, and all this, and there was there was some money there. But the problem was, is that well, we found out after the, the this little next segment, that money wasn't hers. It was it was in their family. And one day I was with this guy that uh, that we we're all doing this with. I was I was good friends with, him. and I don't I don't remember if I moved. Anyways, he was here looking for a couch, or I was, and we were just we just had a meeting. We go over there, and we're sitting there at this big, huge furniture store, and we all of a sudden we both at the same time we're like, "Look, my friend, ain't that the girl that's been to the races with us?" Sitting on a box trying to buy her team, she worked at the furniture store, <laughs> and we were like, "Oh my god!" <laughs> and we were like, "Well, we're trying to figure out how this fall through the cracks." Well, she kind of her rich manipulated uncle her thing. <laughs> their family or parents or somebody had a lot of money, but they were not involved in this at all. She was just wow. And, and then we were wow. like, okay, now we're in big trouble. Well, at that point in time, uh, uh, MB2, yeah. it stepped yeah. in and bought us. Saved us. 
at 2002, you did a one-off deal to run the Richmond Bush Series race, but you're involved in an early crash that left you with with some cracked ribs, I think a shoulder, um, and you wind up missing three cup races. Yep. But then, <laughs> but then you get into another early mishap at Daytona, and you miss two more cup races. Yep. <laughs> yeah, one of those bad days, right? Bad weeks. Broke some stuff. It was... Uh, yeah, there's so uh, Richmond, of course, we, uh, Steve Park, I think at that point in time was hurt. So um, uh, that was a wheeling yeah. uh, sponsor car at that point in time, and they asked me to run that race. And I says, Yeah. And, and it, yeah, we're running good. And we, we got wrecked and uh, hit the wall in a very wrong, bad way. And so I said, Yeah, I spent the night in the hospital. But um, they did a, bu- a bunch of check, and they had had a, I broke some ribs, but they showed a shadow on my aorta. So they went, they, I went through, I couldn't tell you how many tests all night. On your heart? Yeah, they, yeah, I showed a, I didn't uh, know that. Wow. a shadow there. I remember the doctor, Dr. Wolfgang, comes in there and he says, hey, I'm Dr. Wolfgang. And I said, he, he goes, I'm a vascular surgeon. And I go, yep, you're in the wrong room. <laughs> and he's like, no. And then he explained, cause it, which made sense now, because they did a CT scan and then, I come back, and like 10 minutes later, 15 minutes later, I'm going again. Look at nurse, I said, where, where are we going, CT scan? I go, huh. Of course, they gave me some stuff by now. I think it's just deja vu, I said, it doesn't make any sense. Well, they sent me for a second one within within 20 minutes. Oh, wow. And I thought, okay, this is odd. Yeah. And then when he came in, he said, well, we're going to do another test. So then they, I, I call it the guard hose they put it on your throat to, to go in there and, and check that. And, and then they says, well, we got, we're, we're two for three. Only, only one showed good. The other two still in bad. And so then a little later, a guy come in and he says, what are you doing? It's like, right now it's like three in the morning. Uh, nothing. <laughs> you know? <laughs> And so the, he goes, well, I'm going to try something. They put, so then they put me in a MRI, and I sat in that for like an hour or something. And then they come back out, and they says, oh, you're good. You can go home. I go, what? We went through all this. He says, oh, no, that's either good or bad. There are no in between. Oh, wow. So once they're yeah. satisfied, they go, you can go home. And I says, well, can I at least spend another couple hours here? <laughs> and so the, um, I, I forget what time it was I got by morning. And then I went back over to the track, could barely move but um so and, and to be honest i'm not sure who drove the car i think uh i think and either nadu i know nadu ran uh later so i think uh, J- uh jerry nadu got in the car and so i watched the race there and I, I went to the track so I, I so i was still there watching helping doing everything i could i couldn't drive the car but did everything i could to, um to get jerry through that part and then i got back in the car wrecked at Daytona and I did crack some ribs on my other side and I was out but then I I was coming back in for Indy I was not missing Indy (laughs) probably not my best decision but it was uh, it hurt so bad getting in a car but um but I think Indy was my next race back after that did you kick yourself for doing the the bush race nope did you not nope how can you come in okay I I didn't I didn't kick myself for wrecking a car at Daytona and getting hurt either so I mean you're Again, I, I was just a racer. I just ra- I gonna race whenever, how, 
doesn't matter. I mean, hindsight's twenty twenty. We can go yeah, back and yeah, say, yeah, yeah, sure. you know, what, what if we won the race? I'm not going to kick myself for doing that. <laughs> so I can't. I can't kick myself for uh, getting in something and, and and getting in a wreck. I mean, it wasn't a part failure. It wasn't. Yeah. Uh, wasn't driver aspect of it at least on my end that happened. So I don't look. I I don't view that stuff that way. I'd um, you know, if I make a mistake and you get in a wreck and all that, I'd have a different opinion on that. But I don't. I don't think that that's where the. Yeah. I didn't. That wasn't the issue, so I, I yeah. don't. I don't ever second guess. Well, I know what you're talking about, but about the crack ribs. Mm-hmm. Been there, done that. <laughs> oh. oh, they hurt. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> when you get them on the left side, it ain't so bad, but on the right side's bad. Oh, yeah. the, you know, you're just gonna spend the next four Drive hours watching it. <laughs> Steve got wrecked at Talladega. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sure. you led some laps and you finished fourth at New Hampshire, and then you finished second at Martinsville. Were you satisfied that you were knocking on the door, or was there maybe a little bit of frustration that, for whatever reason, you hadn't been able to close the deal yet? When you can run in a top five, you got that sense of hope and encouragement and uh, uh, confidence that we're going to win a race. Okay. And that goes through the driver, goes through the crew, goes through everybody. You have to get your job to get or do your job to get that done. You all do so. So we were just knocking right on the door right there, and it was like, okay, top five's great. We're, we're at where we want to be, because if you can run in the top five, you got that opportunity to win a race. And we worked hard at, you know, every week. I mean, when you run 30th, they're working the same hardness, but when you start running up in the, the top tens consistently and in top five consistently, you you know, people say, well, you just got a lot of confidence now that helps. It, it does help, but what it, it but it's at that point in time, you're just more confident in the direction you're going, yeah. and and then you don't second guess should we try this or not. It, it, it's always a test. It's always anything you do that it's out of your realm is always a unknown. Well, we were feeling pretty confident going through what we were doing. We felt we we're making the right decisions, which I think we were, and so we were like right there and. Like I say, Loudon, I think we had a really good shot at winning that. We were, we were up front, ran into a incident with the lap car that was giving us a little bit of a hassle, but um, that that probably took us out of that because we were leading it late in that thing, and then that kind of messed it up. So we run fourth. Uh, Martinsville was a good run for us. Um, I think myself, Ricky Craven, and uh, uh, Kurt Busch, we were all good. Yeah. And it was just right there at the end. Kurt was up, Kurt was up front. We chased him down. I just I just couldn't get around him, especially late in the late in the race. But it was a good run for us. Now, late in the Martinsville race, they're talking on ESPN on the broadcast about whether or not you're going to use the bumper to get by <laughs> Kurt. And Vinny Parsons goes, "No, nah, he ain't going to do that." <laughs> and then your crew chief, James Entz, said after the race that maybe you should have been a little more aggressive. And, you know, you don't read his regular quote. He goes, "I'd have wrecked my mom." That race. <laughs> and honestly, basically, everybody who didn't drive your car that day was expressing their opinion about you know woulda, shoulda, coulda. I I couldn't drive any harder. <laughs> there is no way I could have drove any harder. I, I messed up going into into one, and Kurt knew this. I mean, Kurt, Kurt, Kurt's very good at what he does, so. It, that was after the ground and track and the outside of the track worked well. Myself, Rick Craven, but one of few that yeah. made very good gains running on the outside. 
And I think at the time I was catching Kurt, I was doing both, run top and bottom. I knew if Kurt was going to stay on the bottom. As a leader, you're not going to venture out there. Well, because he was up front all day. Well, we ran through traffic, and the outside was pretty good. At that time, I caught him. I didn't want it. I was afraid to go out there and show him that with a couple laps to go. So I was going to wait to encounter. Well, I, I couldn't do it in three and four because I, I, I didn't get off two as good as I needed to. So I was going to run the outside him through one and two. Well, I think Kurt knew what I was going to do. So right as he started that, he moved up before he moved down. And I did hit him. I, it, not hard. But when I did that, it messed my entry up. And I, and I, I missed that opportunity. Um, but what you're talking about is going to knock him out of the way. And my dad had always taught me from the beginning, you know, when you run outlaw cars, there ain't nothing in front. You can't, you can't hit nothing. You're going you're gonna to ruin your day. But he's always told me that knocking a guy out of the way, he goes, anybody can do that. Anybody with a fast car can do that. Pass him. He says, you got to earn the respect and beside the guy before you make contact. And that's how I always drove. And so I, I could have, I could have just knocked him out of the way. That'd have been easy to do. Yeah, but yeah. I would have, I would have regretted it from my dad telling me for the rest of my life that, well, that was stupid. You just, why did you just do that? You know, because then you lose. To me, the guy that you just knocked out of just lost a hundred percent respect for you. Yeah. He, he yeah. ate you now. Yeah. And so I wouldn't do that. Now, if somebody wrecked me out of the way, if the revolves reversed the next week or something I still I would not I still wouldn't do it I would spend every possible moment to pass him clean first yeah but eventually you know you're going to return the favor aspect of things although I still don't believe in that either but um I wasn't going to do that I don't I don't know of any race I've knocked anybody out of the way was the Mr. Nice guy talk something that bothered you I don't care Fair I didn't enough. think so. Yeah, I, I didn't think so. Fair enough. I don't care. <laughs> That's what we called it. Fair yeah, enough. yeah, yeah. absolutely. Benny Parsons is reborn. <laughs> Both on and yeah. off the track. No, there. I mean, you try to be nice. I mean, I am how I am. I mean, we all do weird stuff and different things that yeah. I shouldn't do and things of that nature. But it, uh, it's a, that's just who I am. So yeah. I'm not. Yeah. I don't want to be like that guy. He may not want to be like me either, but right. I'm just going to be who I am. Right. So, Well, finally at Rockham, you get the first Winston Cup victory. Now, what do you remember about that? Oh, that? everything. That, <laughs> I mean, we went down there. We tested. Went down there and tested. We felt good. We get down there for the race, and uh, we were horrible, which didn't make any sense to us. How can we be that good in tests and now horrible? And we struggled, and we kept making changes. Finally, uh, we qualified, which was not good. And talked to James, and I, I got love James, man. He's 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 confident, and he goes, "I got a plan." And I'm like, "Okay, I'm not going to tell you my plan. I'll get back with you." <laughs> and uh, I'm like, "Okay," and and I hang around for a little bit, and I'm watching what's going on, and and then James says, "You just go over there for a while, and just I don't want." I don't want you to see what I'm doing. That's <laughs> okay. So he made all these changes. Well, before the race, I go, all right, what, what, what do we got? What do we got? He goes, I changed both front springs to right rear spring. I put a different sway bar in it, changed the camber, and then split the uh, <laughs> track, the, the, the truck arms. 
Is that all? <laughs> I started to laugh, and I, I says, and we looked at each other. Well, can't be any worse of practice, uh-huh. which which is right. But after you know, and you went through all this stuff, in eighty five percent of it made sense to me. Not sure about the others, but I thought, well, eighty five is a pretty good number, you know. To I trust what he's doing. So, so we go out there, and I'll tell you what, we ran we ran like forty laps, and I says. Oh, we're going to be good. Took me four laps, and I knew we were going to be good. Yeah. So that was cool. So how much more of the story do you want? You want the rest of the story, don't you? Absolutely. <laughs> no specific questions. We just, <laughs> we just ran good. We ran good. Our pit stops were good. Our uh, James's decision on when we pitted were good. We short pitted. We hung out. We, we'd done a little bit of everything that he had a really good sense of what we needed to do late in the race. Because Rockingham always, you run 40, 50 laps on tires, you're, you're wanting to quit, come in, I'll change tires myself if I got to get new tires. And so we, we were running, we short pitted, we did this, and we got lucky because on that last pit stop, we didn't short pit, we had pitted. And there was still, I, I'm not, there was gotta have been 90, 100 laps. It was a long, long run. And, so, you know, the first part, you just kind of hang for a little bit, and then you get going. Well, then I started to go, but not 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 giving it all, because we know tires ain't going to last. And I'm kind of going and kind of going, and a couple guys were just letting me go, because they were like, yeah, running way too fast at this point in time. But what they did is they made it easy on a pass. I wasn't wearing out anything past them, because they were like, oh, he's coming. And they go, okay, he's going to go by, and then we'll see him in a little while. He'll be going that way. I knew that though. So I took advantage of them, let me buy, then I would not wear the car out. And then, then it got harder when he got up near the front. And then uh, I just would buy my time and I'm like, I go, we gotta be 50 laps into these tires. When are we gonna pit? James is like, not now. Cause we were, we were gonna short pit. He was not now hold off. He wanted somebody else to start that program when nobody did. Nobody came in, nobody short pitted. That would have changed that whole race. So we stayed out, stayed out. And I'm sure that every driver is out there screaming. And then we kind of kept going. I said, Mark, back off a little bit. I was able to get by Mark. And then I was shocked I was able to get by um, uh, Kurt Bush. I thought he would fight me a little harder. But then James is yelling at me, I need you to save fuel and now run hard. I go, I'm not running hard. It was super easy on the tires, or felt like felt like it. And then he goes, "Remember when you went by Mark?" I go, "Yeah, Mark always. Mark knows how to do this deal. He, he ain't gonna fight nobody until the end." And then all of a sudden, here he come, and I was like, "Oh my gosh!" And you see him coming fast, but then all of a sudden that became really slow. I knew he was struggling, and so were we. But um, I just kept your deal and kept going. I got a good break because right at the end there with like 10 laps to go, people started pitting 10, 15 laps to go. Well, they were catching us at good and bad points. And I think at the times that they were catching Mark and catching me, he had worse breaks on those catches than I did and put him in a position he didn't want to be in, whether he couldn't come off the corner there on the outside or whatever. I was running low in one, two, high in three and four. So they went around the outside of me, which I wanted to bottom. 
Well, on three and four, I wanted to top, so I'd let him go underneath. Well, Mark was running the bottom of both, so they put him in a couple awkward positions, which was a benefit to me. I think that's why he won that race. I think if he didn't have those things, he he could have got by us. And, and, uh, but we were both driving our butt off. I, even in Mark's interview, man, we were just driving the fools out of him. And it, you can see, it, it's hard to see. I think racers see it. You know, when you're looking at TV, it doesn't look that bad. Yeah. But if you look in the window and you see that thing doing this, you're fighting bad. Right. And it's just, right. but we would run the entire race, no caution. Yeah. You know, Kenny Schrader ran out with two to go. And then I was worried about fuel. Well, you can't worry about it now. Mm-hmm. I mean, and, and uh, we were fortunate we made it. I never made it back to pit road. I did, did you not? I did our I stuff, did. and then, uh, yeah, they came and got us, pushed that run out of fuel. But I'm sure Mark was in that same spot, yeah. and everybody else. It was a good win. What was, win. what was the view like from the mountaintop after winning that race? Well, I mean, it's awesome. I mean, it is, you know, it's my first win. We, we've been close so many times, and it was like, you know, you're like, you know, okay, it finally happened. You know, and it was uh, pretty amazing. So late 2002, you went at Rockingham. Mm-hmm. Late 2003, you were let go by that team. Three or four. I thought we ran 04. Uh, no, nah, 04 you were kind of, uh, yeah. I thought 04 was, okay. Yeah, um, I, I think 04 you started Bush Series maybe with James Okay, Stitch. I thought that was 05. Yeah. Um, but anyways, uh it yeah, I, I knew it was coming. There were um, James had some conflicts within the the thing. James and um, yeah. there was we were. It's kind of weird because I money was never a big issue with the MB two there, but they were wanting to change direction. They were wanting us to do in car in house cars. Uh, the other side of the, the the team was running them. I'd help help with some of the testing. I didn't like them, and it became enough of a conflict that James walked out of the shop. And I think it was four races ago. Of course, at this point, in time I hear that Scott Riggs is coming. I already, I've I've heard it. Maybe it wasn't quite. It was it was in that vicinity. And so I went, I, you know, I went up there and I said, "Hey, just just tell me what's going on." No, nope, you're good. Because I still had a, I still had a contract. Maybe I, maybe that's what I'm thinking of for. And it, no, you're good. You're good. I go look if it's a pro, you know. Just tell me what's going on. What to deal with? Nope, you're all good. Everything is cool. We're moving forward. This and that. Whatever. Uh, James left. Um, Jay Guy was crew chief at that point in time. Um, so we didn't get anybody from outside. We did it in house. And then. Uh, We finished out the year, which was pretty good. I think even if we run fourth at uh, Miami, I mean, we're, we're running good. And again, I was, we're all good. Yep, we're good. We're good. <laughs> I get home, they sent me an email after I was just in the office. Well, you're fired. Well, that pissed me off because I was. Really? I was in the office. You just told me I'm good. Now you're going to email me and tell me you're different. So that, that, that really irritated me. But the. Um, I can't imagine why. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, well, because I, I'm like, yeah, what do we got? And uh, so I, I mean, I laugh about it today. I wasn't real happy at the moment, but because um, I, I was, I was looking forward to move forward and do. I mean, we we're still running good. I mean, we'd like to say we just finished the year off, 
you know, run up front, wood race, whatever, and and, and then run fourth last, but we're right there. And uh, they didn't want to move forward, so, which is, it's our, it's our team, that's fine. Yeah. Just let you know what's going on, you know. <laughs> This segment is brought to our listeners by Las Vegas Motor Speedway, America's Racing Showplace. Steve, Johnny had a fairly decent first couple of years with Bahari Racing. He had a great run going in the 1996 Brickyard 400, his rookie year. He led more laps than anybody else that day, but then he had a pretty tough pit stop, and then he tried to overcompensate by filling out of the pits, and he stalled the car, and he came back from that and he finished eighth, but that was one of those races that kind of got away. And yeah. Steve, I'm going to be honest with you. I do not remember that run. That was one of those that I, I'm sure Johnny thought about for a little while. Oh, oh yeah. It had to be tough on him, but I'll tell you something, Rick, as we already know, that wasn't the first type of race that JB lost. He had several like that. Yeah. You know, Johnny did win the 1996 Winston cup rookie of the year award. And then the following year in 1997, he finished 11th in the point standings, just one point, one point <laughs> behind 10th place. Ken Schrader, one point away from going to the banquet and sitting among the other top 10 guys. Yes, sir. And that's big. That yeah, was that, very big. what did I just say about Johnny losing close ones? Steve, he did get in two years with Bahari. He said that he was happy there and that Chuck Ryder wanted him to stay, but he did get a nudge to go ahead and make the move to Roush racing. And Johnny said no, but instead evidently got the word that he needed to make the move. So he did. And Steve, he would not elaborate on where that nudge came from. He would not elaborate on who it was. He would not elaborate any more specifics, but that being said, his understanding was that he was going to be going to a certain team at Roush with a certain crew chief. But when he actually got there, that wasn't actually what happened. But when he actually got there, that wasn't what happened. And Johnny, again, Johnny did not say where that nudge came from other than it was somebody within the team slash driver area. But he did say that the crew chief that he was supposed to work for was going to be buddy parent. Who tells a driver that he needs to go to this team? It indicates that something has been set up. It's very favorable. In other words, this is a good deal for Johnny. Got to come over here. Yeah. But when he comes over there, what he thinks is going to happen does not happen. That's an immediate red flag. Yeah. You're yeah. needed and you come over and nothing is what you expected. Red flag, big time. If you get the chance, if you're told that you're going to get the chance to drive with Buddy Parrott as your crew chief, yeah, you're going to have to consider that. Sure, absolutely. But when it doesn't happen and you go over there to an entirely different situation, that does not put you in a good mindset to be with the team you are. I mean, it's not what you expected. Well, then you go to Daytona 500 and you DNQ. Yeah. So they started off the season in a hole, but then Johnny was able to finish fourth at Las Vegas and then fifth, two races in a row at Bristol and Texas. And he got 10 top 10 finishes over the course of that season. But then in 1999, things kind of fell off a cliff. He started off with Bobby Leslie as his crew chief. 
Then Pat Trison took over, and then he finished out the year with Tommy Morgan. Now, there's a big warning right there that things are not going right at all. We always know about teams switching crew chiefs and replacing crew chiefs, and that's done almost all the time, not all the time, but almost all the time, to remedy a situation. And sometimes that works, and sometimes that doesn't. But, Rick, when you swap out crew chiefs, not once, not twice, but three times, that has got to trigger some warning bells. <laughs> yeah, I would say it would. But then they are at Charlotte, and Johnny really likes the way the car is handling, but it is really slow. And Jack Roush has Mark Martin get in the car, and Mark says that the car seems perfectly fine to him. It's handling great. And Johnny asked Mark if he'd trade cars right then and there on the spot. And Mark was like, sure, I'd be glad to have it. But then Johnny informed him that his lap times were three quarters of a second slower than the car that Mark was driving. Not three tenths, Steve, three quarters of a second. Now that might not seem like a lot to most people, but in racing terms, three quarters of a second. That <laughs> is slow. <laughs> yup. Mark Martin walked off. Johnny got caught on the carpet and he's kind of getting fussed at. And from what Johnny said, Jack told him that he's going to start charging Johnny for all the cars he's wrecking. I'm a Jack Roush fan, believe me, but that <laughs> oh. might be the dumbest thing <laughs> anybody has ever done. How can you build a driver's confidence <laughs> by telling him you're going to charge him for every time you wreck? That's a momentum killer, don't you think? <laughs> that didn't do a whole lot for the relationship. Now, in all fairness, from what Johnny said, that's something that Jack has evidently said at one time or another to his other drivers. But then and there, Johnny got a little fired up. And, and Johnny responded by saying, here's a deal for you. Don't even pay me for the rest of the year, but you got to get me in the top 10 in points. Otherwise, find yourself another driver. And he walked out. I had a boy, Johnny. And that, to me, is standing up for yourself. That is a really sporty thing to say, but I believe that when Johnny Benson feels like he's right about something, he's not going to be moved off of it very easily. You have to admire him for it. And I, I am really glad with the way he responded to Jack over this issue. Well, here's how he ultimately responded. He still had two years remaining on his contract, but he went to the trouble and expense of buying his contract out rather than staying put. Johnny was clearly a man on a mission, don't you think? I mean, that is really going a long way to shed yourself of a team, but he did it. Well, that proves that Johnny Benson was a man who was spun out and half turned over, and he wanted to get out of his deal. And Steve, he did get a deal to go drive for team owner Tim Beverly, and we all know the issues that Tim had later in his run in NASCAR. We won't get into that, but he's looking forward to the deal. Even though it's not sponsored, Johnny goes to Daytona and he dang near won the Daytona 500. Crew chief James Entz called for two tires when Johnny pinned under caution on lap 157, and that put him out front for the next 39 laps. Johnny said at the time, I had one of my old teammates get on the radio and say, he can't drive that thing on two tires, so get him out of the way. 
And then we just showed we've got a really great race team. There was a caution for a multi-car accident that came out on lap 194, and that closed a bunch of Fords right up to the rear bumper of Johnny's Pontiac. The green comes back out with four laps to go, and JB is a sitting duck, and he goes from first to 12th in two laps. And at that point, another caution came out for Jimmy Spencer's accident on the backstretch. The race ends under caution, and that was that. We've seen this time after time at Daytona. If you're leading and the guys behind you are all one make, they're all Fords, they're all Chevrolets, whatever, you're a dead duck because those guys are going to hook up in the draft, catch you, and pass you in a short order. That's how it works at Daytona. Well, Steve, that would have been the Cinderella story of all Cinderella stories. True. And yeah. I, I... That's another race that got away. Steve, as good as Johnny felt about that situation, owner Tim Beverly, he did have to sell the team halfway through the year, at which point it became MB2 Motorsports. And here's how bizarre the business of big-time automobile racing can get. As the team was trying to come up with a buyer, somebody came in, and they were really trying to impress her. And they were taking her to the races. She's hanging out with the team. She's sitting on pit wall with the team before the race, having a good time, sitting on the war wagon. She's got money. She's wanting to buy a NASCAR team. Evidently, there was money involved somehow, but it wasn't actually hers. Johnny was in a furniture store after that deal went away. And the lady is actually working in the store. She doesn't appear to own the store. She's just working there. <laughs> So evidently a relative or something had some money and she was expecting to get a chunk of it. And she was expecting to go cup racing, but that didn't work out. Well, the whole thing is kind of wacky, but as you know, Rick, <laughs> this is not the first time something like that has happened in NASCAR over the years. There have been fly by nighters, impersonators, whatever you want to call them, come in and try to impress people. They got money and get their hands on a team or a portion of it. And sometimes it almost worked, but this time, uh, well, no. let's put it this way. <laughs> this, is not, this was not the greatest of plots. <laughs> 2002, Johnny runs a one-off Bush Series race at Richmond, but gets in a wreck that leaves him pretty beat up. He misses three races. He comes back, but he winds up re-injuring his ribs in a crash at Daytona. And he is out for another couple of races, but this time there is a silver lining. He qualifies second and then finished fourth at New Hampshire. And then he finishes second at Martinsville. Now, speaking of Martinsville, he's right on Kurt Busch's rear bumper in the closing laps. Benny Parsons is talking on TV about the possibility of JB giving KB a <laughs> shove <laughs> in order to take the lead. And BP says, no, he won't do that. JB giving KB a shove and BP says, no, he won't do that. Hey, <laughs> that's good stuff. RH. <laughs> After the race, Johnny's crew chief, James Ant said, I think the best car finished second today. I think we've got to be more aggressive on the racetrack. That's the biggest thing. We've come a long way for Johnny to run second here. If you'd asked me this morning, if we'd take second and go home, I'd be sitting on my couch right now. 
I can't complain about that. But then James concluded, we've got a pretty nice race car driver. He does a heck of a job, whether it's going through traffic or racing other people, he doesn't get the respect some other people get. I think James is right on target about saying that Johnny didn't get the respect some other people got. I agree with that a hundred percent. That kind of ignited a little bit of a debate on Johnny's Mr. Nice guy image and whether or not he was aggressive enough to participate at the cup level. And everybody seemed to have an opinion. Just let Johnny drive the way he wants to drive. Other people were saying, oh, he needs to be way more aggressive, way more aggressive. But then after Johnny won at Rockingham, James added a little something else. When Johnny came to drive our race cars, I gave him the choice then. I told him at the end of the day, he could decide who he wanted to fight at the gas pumps. Me or them. (laughs) (laughs) To which Johnny replied, I didn't go to the gas pumps at Martinsville. I didn't see him for three days. I am smart. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, all the talk about the Mr. Nice Guy image, it goes back to the lessons he learned from his dad. Anybody can wreck the person in front of them, but in order to gain respect, race them, but race them clean. And Johnny actually said that if he had tagged Kurt to get around him, if he had wrecked Kurt to get around him and win that race, he would have regretted it for the rest of his life because he did not race that way. Johnny followed his dad's instructions about how to race. That was the way Johnny wanted to race. And he didn't want to be the guy that shoved other guys out of the way because that would disrespect his father. And let me ask you a question. Can you imagine Ralph Earnhardt saying the very same thing (laughs) to Dale Earnhardt? Never happened. And Dale even said he drove like his father hard all the time. I asked Johnny if all the Mr. Nice Guy talk bothered him. And without hesitation or much elaboration, he goes, I don't care. And you know what? I don't believe that he did back then or that he does now. He raced the way that he raced, and he was very satisfied with that. Yes, I agree with you 100%. They tested at Rockingham, and they do go back for the race, but they're way off. So James comes up with a plan. He won't let Johnny anywhere near what he's trying to do. Finally, Johnny did ask about all the changes. And it's basically everything but the rear view mirror and the lug nuts on the wheels that got changed. (laughs) (laughs) And again, Johnny being Johnny, he just kind of shrugged his shoulders and goes, well, can't be any worse than practice. And he goes out and he wins the race. Uh, Definitely not any worse than practice, wouldn't you say? (laughs) But whatever James did, it worked. Johnny is a Winston Cup winner late in 2002, but then late in 2003, he is let go. And that's the way that things sometimes work in this sport and in everyday life. But what got Johnny was the meeting that he had had with the team. And he asked if his job was safe. He'd heard the rumors, all drivers hear rumors. And he was told, sure, you're good. You're good to go. We we got you. And he gets home (laughs) and he gets an email and it says, you're out of here. Evidently the same day that he had just been told that his job was secure. He gets home, gets an email, and his job is gone. Well, I tell you what, I'm sure that rubbed Johnny the wrong way, and it should have. I mean, you're at a meeting, you're told your job is safe, you get home, and you get an email 
then you're gone. Don't even tell you in person, lie to you before you even get home. I tell you what, that's gutless in my opinion. This segment is brought to our listeners by Las Vegas Motor Speedway, America's Racing Showplace, and home of Hell's Kitchen and all my money. (laughs) (laughs) Johnny Benson won the first race of his Bush Series career by holding off Harry Gant, and he won the first race of his Winston Cup career by beating Mark Martin to the finish line by a shade more than six-tenths of a second. So if you beat Harry Gant, and Mark Martin to your first career wins in both of those divisions, you're doing the day's work. And you've really done something because you've beaten two of the best ever. And still, even though he's just won, that runner-up showing at Martinsville was still hanging around. Johnny said in the next week's paper, both James Entz and myself really hate finishing second. And we've had a lot of seconds. At Martinsville, maybe I could have won one if I'd wrecked the guy, but I wasn't going to do that. I know James was mad at me for it, and I know he would have, but it makes me feel so much better today. Even though it could have been two wins instead of one, I think we can all say we won this race and we didn't have to wreck anybody. Just the way his father told him to do it. And Johnny stuck by that. He was not going to do it any other way. And that's just the way that Johnny wanted to do it. Johnny and Mark had not only been teammates at Roush Racing, they'd also raced against each other quite a bit in ASA. Mark said, I knew he was going to be nervous with pressure, and I put some pretty good pressure on him. I was really taking some crazy chances. I put a lot of pressure on him, and he made no mistakes. That was really what I was hoping for, but I was not expecting it because I have raced Johnny a lot. Now, Johnny was the fifth first-time winner in 2002. Can you name for me, please, the other first-time winners in 2002? I know two of them off okay. the top of my head. All right. I know two of them. All right. uh, Ryan Newman and Jamie McMurray. Now, who are the other two? And Johnny Benson. And these were kind of flashes in the pans, and, and they didn't really do much the rest of their career. Kurt Busch. And then some kid by the name of Jimmy Johnson. Oh, yeah, you're right. (laughs) There are nobodies today. Now, speaking of Jamie McMurray, he was on a little bit of a hot streak. He had won the first race of his Winston Cup career at Charlotte a couple of weeks earlier. And the following week, Joe Nemechek ran out of gas on the final lap at Atlanta. And Jamie got handed another win. Then here at Rockingham, Jeff Green and Michael Waltrip got into each other with a couple of laps to go while racing for the win. And who won that one? <laughs> that would be young Jamie McMurray. <laughs> <laughs> the kid is on a good luck streak, wouldn't you say? Jamie said after the race, I don't think it was a gimme. There's 42 other guys who could have put themselves in the same position we put ourselves in that could have won the race. We happen to be in the right place at the right time. And he is exactly right when he says that. We said earlier, if you're racing well enough to earn a victory when you get it, even if it looks like it's been handed to you, that's not the case. You earned it. Then at the time, there was news that Michael McSwain had left Robert Yates Racing and driver Ricky Rudd 
in order to join Joe Gibbs racing, where he was going to be Bobby Labonte's crew chief beginning the following season. And we talked to Michael about that one during his interview that we had on the show last year. And here's the reason why Michael ultimately made that decision. I've got 10 fingers and the only ring I've got is my wedding ring. And so, yeah, he was going after that championship. Michael did get his ring that year after Tony Stewart captured the championship for JGR. But as far as how things wound up between he and Bobby, <laughs> yeah, you might want to go back and listen to those episodes. <laughs> <laughs> Deb Williams wrote a really nice piece on Ernie Elliott. Ernie said it's seven days a week, at least 12 to 15 hours a day, every single day, or you're not going to succeed in this business. If you're not willing to do that and do it well enough to win races, then don't do it. That bugs me worse than anything to see people around the racetrack are going just to be there. I absolutely hate it. They'll high five each other because they finished 25th. As far as I'm concerned, you need to put a paper bag on your head and drive out in the most obscure <laughs> manner that you can. So people don't know who you are. Well, I have always maintained that Ernie was the foundation of the Elliott Racing Team and organization. You never saw him talk much to the press. Didn't have much of a sense of humor at all. Was always serious looking. And now he revealed in this feature, he was always working. And you know that as well as I, Rick. And because he was that way, he did a lot of work and contributed a whole lot to Bill's success. Well, if there's anything that you need to know about Ernie Elliott, that quote was it. Number one, you work like a plow mule, 12 to 15 hours a day, every single day. And also don't go to the race just to be there. You go to the race to win. Credit Ernie with that 1985 season Bill had when he won 11 super speedway races. Ernie was always a target of rumor or innuendo that he was doing some strange stuff to those engines, but that was never proven. What was proven was the engines powered Bill to those victories. That's Ernie's work. What happens in Dawsonville is <laughs> <laughs> Matt Kenseth's Roush Racing Team won the pit crew race for the second year in a row. But this time around, their celebration was going to be a little bit tamer or else. <laughs> <laughs> Robbie said last year we won this and the guys had a good time. They threw all the furniture in the pool. <laughs> okay. That's a good time. Yeah. <laughs> Before we left the racetrack, we had to dig it all out and put it back where it belonged. <laughs> Jack has already warned me, so I don't know what we'll be doing tonight, but it will probably be pizza and going to bed. <laughs> well, that's not a bad idea. Remember you work for a guy who wants to charge drivers who wreck cars. <laughs> Well, how else is he going to pay for all the furniture that's been tossed into the pool? Exactly. <laughs> I'm Kenny Wallace. Hello, I'm Buddy Parrott. Hey, race fans, this is Brett Bodine. I'm Ken Schrader. Hey, guys, I'm Brennan Gone. Some of you may remember me. I'm a little old. Some of you may not. But you're listening to the Scene Vault Podcast. Hey. 
Hello, Scene Vault fans. This is Brian from Speedway Screens. And if you're enough of a NASCAR historian to be listening to this podcast, there's a good chance a piece of the past you've been on the hunt for is in my shop. I'm constantly on the hunt for apparel and collectibles from all genres and eras of motorsports. So whether it be cup cars, dirt modifieds, dragsters, or monster trucks, I've probably got something for you. Check out my inventory at speedwaytsj.etsy.com and be sure to follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Speedway Screens for the newest items as soon as they drop and for a peek at what I keep for my own collection. As a special thank you to listeners of this show, just enter scene at checkout for 10% off. Speedwaytsj.etsy.com. That's speedwaytsj.etsy.com. This podcast has been brought to our listeners by Las Vegas Motor Speedway, America's Racing Showplace. And again, that address for PayPal support is <laughs> <laughs> paypal.me slash the same vault podcast. Again, remember, Rick has been to Hell's Kitchen <laughs> and just barely lived to tell about it. <laughs> Yes, I'm drinking a Diet Pepsi. It's Vegas. <laughs> that's, as much, that's as much as I'm going to cut loose. <laughs> I'm not going to tell everybody. You know what, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. <laughs> <laughs>